Good evening. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Wes, thank you for being with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Good evening, y'all. In case you didn't know, Wes McAdams was at Baker Heights for, I don't know, five years, six years? Yeah, something like that, yeah. four or five years. Yeah, that's where we kind of got together and got to know each other, and uh, I hate that you're not in town. Uh, I we, know, yeah. We had some good lunches and good conversations. I missed that. Yeah. But uh, you're at uh, McDermott Road now. Yeah. How's the work going there? Plano, Texas. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, doing, it's good. It's good. It, last year has been a weird year. I've been saying that we've been there for four years now. And from now on, I'm going to say we've been at McDermott Road for four years. And 12 of those years were during 2020. So <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I'm not sure if the math works out, but the emotions work out <laughs> just right. Exactly. And you got your family with us? Yes. Holly, my Noah, wife Malachi, and boys. So. Yep. Be sure to meet them afterwards, and thanks for being here. So we're, we're tying up the series on baptism with me and you, and hopefully put a good little bow on it and make it you know, all come together. So obviously you hadn't been with us the last five or six weeks, but I know you and I have talked about this subject at length. You've been on the podcast, and so that's why I wanted you here with us, because you have some really interesting insight on this topic. So let's start, let's start very broad. Let's start there. So we often focus on baptism as, I think you call it fire insurance, uh, <laughs> or uh, I say a passport to heaven, and that's really where we focus, and not, that's not bad necessarily, yeah. but in your mind, what do we most miss when it comes to baptism and thinking deeper about baptism? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, that we, we tend to think about baptism, and I think that this goes back, I mean, a long, long time ago, even maybe even second or third century back, that we think of baptism as something that we do in order to prepare for death, whereas I think the New Testament more puts it in terms of this is what we do to prepare for a life in Christ. This is what we do to prepare to follow Jesus. This is, this is beginning your journey of discipleship. This is beginning your journey of a life that is spirit-filled. This is the beginning of your journey of being set free from sin and death and the life that is the new creation that you step into when you are baptized into Jesus. You come up out of that water. You're beginning this new life. And yes, we are preparing for the world to come. We are preparing for the life to come in the resurrection, but we're also preparing for a life of discipleship in the here and now. And I think that sometimes that's what we miss. We talk about, well, this person needs to make sure they get baptized before they die. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true, but, but often we're forgetting about what comes between baptism and death. And that's this entire life of discipleship that Jesus is inviting us into. Yeah, you mentioned beginning. Yes. And if there's one thing that our congregation has heard me say over and over again, probably getting sick of hearing about it, is baptism is not the end. Yeah. And that's not the goal. The goal is a life of discipleship, a resurrected life, and baptism is certainly a huge part of that, but I say the, the baptism is more the starting line and not the finish line, so I like how you put that. Um, so along with that, a lot of times we have been guilty of, and I say we, probably nobody here, but uh, overall we've kind of been guilty of proof texting people into baptism. And so we go through the steps and we have our scriptures associated or tied with each step and baptism, of course, Acts 2.38, right? And uh, we, we tend to pluck out those verses and we make them stand as our proof text for why you need to do these steps. Uh, what would you say to that? How do we avoid that? What is the overall picture that we need to be looking at instead of kind of hunting and pecking the scriptures? Because I've heard you say, 
it kind of presents it like those are the really important scriptures <laughs> and the rest of them aren't so much, but those are the really important ones you need to know. Well, first, I'm glad nobody else is guilty here of doing that because <laughs> I know that I am. So I know I've certainly been guilty of proof texting. And, and I think that, that it's, it's not only dangerous in this conversation that proof texting is dangerous uh, when it comes to baptism. It's, it's dangerous, not just even with studying Scripture, taking things out of context is dangerous in any conversation. And none of us like that. None of us like to be taken out of context. If we tweeted something or we, uh, or better yet, if we texted something to someone and then they repeated one phrase from a whole text conversation with, well, did you know Wes said such and such and such and such? And I say, wait, that was part of a larger conversation. You don't know the context of that. No one likes to be taken out of context, but we do that all the time with, on media, our reporters do that with people. They'll take something out of context and it loses its meaning. Words only have meaning within the context in which they're spoken. So if I say the word baptism or I say the word the, if I say any word at all, it only has meaning within the context of a sentence. And that sentence has meaning within the context of a paragraph. And so that's where words take on meaning. And so when we treat scripture as if it's just a collection of little tidbits of information, like it's a dictionary, a reference book, then we're, we're missing the point of what Scripture really is, that primarily it's a story. It's a story about God, and really, if you get down to it, it's a story of God and Abraham and Abraham's family and how God promises Abraham that through his seed, he is going to, pro he's going to bless all nations of mankind. This is the grand story of, of Scripture, that how is God going to use Abraham Abraham, a man that we first meet when he's childless, and he's going to use Abraham's seed to bless all nations of mankind and restore them to what he wants humanity to be. This is the grand narrative. Now, baptism works into that because it's a stepping into that story. But when we're just proof texting and we're just saying, hey, you need to get baptized so you don't go to hell, well, then we're, we're not only pulling things out of context, we may be getting people into the water, but we're not getting people into the story, and we're not helping them to know what are you saved from and what are you saved for. Most of us know that we're saved, but right. we don't know what we're saved from, and we don't know what we're saved for. Into what kind of story are we stepping? And when we proof text, people don't know. They, they know, okay, well, I, I guess I'm not going to hell anymore. Okay, yes, but what kind of a life are you saved to, to live? Yeah, talk a little bit about that because we talk often about being saved from. Talk about what we're saved for because mm -hmm. I think that's the part that we're, we're not always so clear about because I've said it before here and we said it in this series that oftentimes we look at baptism as the goal, but in the Great Commission, the goal was to make disciples. Yeah. And baptism is certainly a part of that and a function of that, but the bigger picture is making a disciple. And I think that's why we see it all the time is that people come and they, they get baptized, they leave, and we don't ever see them again. Yeah. And maybe that's because we didn't really make a disciple, we just got somebody wet. So yeah. talk about what we're saved for. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. We go back all the way into the Old Testament and we think about God's relation, covenant relationship with Israel and how they were saved to be a 
a royal priesthood. They were saved to be a, a nation that, that functioned as God's priesthood. And obviously, one of those tribes was specifically the priestly tribe. But then as we get to the New Testament, and God gathers together this multi-ethnic new Israel, this people that are both Jews and Gentiles, into the new family of Abraham, and then sends us out into the world, we are a royal priesthood, which means that, one, we are representing humanity to God, but it also means that we are representing God to humanity. We are carrying the blessings of God out to the world. We are the conduit of God's blessings to the world. And you think about how easily Israel fell into the trap of thinking that they were saved for themselves. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're saved for, for us. It's for our benefit. Whereas God wanted his people to be the salt. He wanted their pe the people to be the light of the world. That We just sang, I love big, this big light of mine. I love that. I hadn't heard that before. This big light of mine. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're called to take the blessings of God into the world and to be this that not only reflects humanity to God, but also reflects God to humanity. Absolutely. I love that. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the significance, the essentialness of baptism, as we should. Um, we don't always relate it to the grand narrative, the bigger picture, which is redemption. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Bible is a story of redemption. And like you said, we miss the story when we focus only on that one piece of the puzzle. But there's a bigger narrative here. Like you said, a story about God. We say all the time here, the Bible starts in a garden, ends in a garden, and everything yeah. in between is a story about God buying his people back. And, you know, so there's a lot of discussion, a lot of debate in the religious world about baptism and its place where it fits in all of that I think under the umbrella of Christendom most religions would believe like we do as far as it being a story of redemption God buying his people back and all that but where baptism is placed in that story or in the response to it uh, it differs and varies and so the question is often asked do I have to be baptized which is interesting because I've heard you talk about this at length but uh, that was not a question yeah. that was asked at the beginning. Yeah. It's a question that has come about over the years because of all the, the debate and, and wondering uh, among religions where its place is. But talk a little bit about that. How do I have to be baptized was not something that was as hotly debated yeah, at one time. Yeah, it's interesting. That, that's just not a question. And, and so you never really find that as a as a conversation going on in Scripture. And so when you look at the context of every passage that speaks to baptism, that's never the question. Nobody's ever asking, oh yeah, well, I'd like to be a disciple, and I'd like to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. I'd like to be filled with the Spirit. I'd like to be forgiven of my sins, but I don't know about this whole baptism thing. Can I put that off, or is it really necessary? Do I have to do it? That's never a question. I think probably where it came about is over time, baptism got emphasized to the exclusion of faith. And so over time, and especially as it moved from adult immersion to infant sprinkling, and, and over time, as baptism's necessity was emphasized, it actually got emphasized to the exclusion of faith so that you could go into an area and sprinkle everybody's babies and, and sort of baptize everyone, and then, well, now that's a Christian area. Well, 
they may still be pagans by right. every sense of the word. They may still be involved in all kinds of pagan idolatry, but yet they've all been baptized, and so officially they're Christian. Well, over time, that became, that became the situation that the world was in, where there were a lot of people that were quote-unquote baptized, but there wasn't a lot of faith in Jesus. There wasn't actual genuine discipleship. And then you have the reformers that come along, and they emphasized faith. And rightfully so, rightfully so, they would say that we're saved by God's grace through faith. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. However, they sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater. Bathwater, no pun intended. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they, they sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater when they said, you know, it's all about faith to the exclusion of baptism. And I think where, where we find in Scripture the necessity of baptism is that baptism isn't an act of achieving something. It's an act of receiving something. So, baptism is receiving salvation, not achieving salvation. And so, when it is emphasized as a work of merit, as if you're doing something to achieve your salvation, and we could still fall into that trap today, and we have to be careful that we're not emphasizing baptism to the exclusion of faith, but that rather it is an act of faith, and that by this act of faith we are receiving salvation, not achieving salvation by checking something off a list. Yeah, and that gets into obeying the gospel. And yeah. we've talked about this before is how, you know, we often look at how do you define the gospel? Hmm. Uh, how many times have you heard it? Well, it's faith, it's repentance, it's confession, it's baptism in the living faithfully, but that's not the gospel. Right. You know, that's the response to the gospel. And certainly baptism is a part of that. But talk about baptism's place in obeying the gospel and how uh, I've heard you talk about this at length about how we never stop obeying the gospel hmm. that we often present it as a one shot deal. And once you've done it, you're good, but really it is something you do for the rest of your life. Yeah. Just like I'm trying to break the habit of proof texting anything, I'm trying to break the habit of using that phrase, obey the gospel, when right. somebody gets baptized. It's really hard. I grew up saying, well, that person obeyed the gospel today. And I, I think we have to be so careful. It's using, not past tense. Right. It's yeah. not past tense. We never find it used in scripture that way. In fact, we never even find the phrase obey the gospel used in a positive sense. It's always used. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 16, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 1 Peter 4, 17. It's always used in a negative sense to say these people are not obeying the gospel. It's, it, it's, it's used in a way to say these people are not living in obedience to the good news of Jesus. And so I, I love the phrase that it, the gospel is good news, not good instructions. It's, right. it's news. It's an announcement. Something has happened. Something has changed. What's changed? Jesus has risen. Jesus is the king of the world. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. That's the good news. The good news is the news of Jesus' reign and what God is doing through Jesus. And so to live in obedience to that news is to live as a disciple and to reject that good news and to say, I don't believe that Jesus is the risen king of kings and lord of lords, is to not be in obedience to that gospel. And so a person who has obeyed the gospel... And again, you can't say it as something that's punctiliar, something that's a one-time action. This is an ongoing behavior. It's like to say, my child obeyed me. Well, I mean, I could say that as I told him something to do, and he did that. So yes, baptism is an act of obeying the gospel. We, we are baptized because we have every intention from that point forward to live in obedience to the gospel. But I can't just say, well, Malachi 
obeyed me as if it was just a one-time thing. <laughs> yes, he obeyed that one specific thing I told him, but I expect him to obey his parents and my other son as well, uh, <laughs> to, to obey, to live in obedience to his parents. And the same is true with obeying the gospel, that yes, baptism is the first step of living in obedience to the gospel, but I think we really have to break the habit of saying this person obeyed the gospel when they got baptized because that's just the beginning of a life of obeying the gospel. Absolutely. I like how you put that, uh, using your son. Well, our kids are good examples, aren't they? <laughs> he's going to get me afterwards. Yeah, mine are thankful that they're not here all the time yeah. to hear me use them as an example. So discuss living out hmm. your baptism, because I know you and I talked about this on the podcast, and I really liked your answer. Living out your baptism, so it's not a one time and then I forget it. This is something that is always on my heart and mind. Uh, I like to say, filter your life through your baptism. So like everything you do, you remember your baptism. I think we are, as humans, uh, we have a propensity to forget. Yeah. Uh, this was the sermon last Sunday morning, and uh, God has always given us reminders. Mm -hmm. And I think our baptism is a really good reminder of the commitment we made and what we decided that day, what we, what we won that day, and continue to win as we go forward. So talk a little bit about living out your baptism, what that means for us as Christians. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, that every passage in the epistles, for sure, that, that speaks to baptism is all within this context of live out your baptism. In fact, I did a series where we walked through different New Testament passages about baptism and, and how these aren't written to unbelievers. Right. We, we've convinced ourselves sometimes that, that the gospel is for unbelievers, that we need to preach the gospel to the world and then we need to preach something else to the church. It's like, wait, no, the, what the church needs to hear is the gospel as well. In fact, Sam Dominguez, who will also love me calling him out, uh, <laughs> did a really good job of helping me to see that Ephesians 4, that God gives the church evangelists to build up the church, we need to hear the gospel too. We need the, the good news proclaimed to us as well. We even need to hear baptism preached, not, hey, y'all need to get baptized because most of us have, but we need to hear about baptism because we need a reminder, this is the life you stepped into. This is the story into which you stepped when you were baptized. And so you could go through like Romans chapter 6, the whole context there is there's some people accusing Paul, ah, well, Paul, you're, you're real big on this grace thing, and you preach grace all the time, and we're saved by grace. That just means we can just go on sinning. And he says, no, absolutely not. Don't you know that all of you who are baptized into Christ, you were set free from sin? So why would you go back to that? So it's a reminder of when, when I was baptized, Jesus broke me free from the bondage of, of sin and death. Galatians 3, he's dealing with the multi-ethnic Jewish Gentiles church and, and the divisions that existed and, and these Jewish Christians who are trying to force these Gentile Christians to be circumcised. And Paul says, no, no, don't you understand when you were baptized, whether you're a Jew or you're free or you're a slave, you're, you're male or female, whatever you are, you all became sons of Abraham when you were baptized into Christ. So all of these passages are reminders when you were baptized, this is who you became. This is what happened. This is the transformation you went through. And so one of the reasons, and I think this is helpful when we are evangelizing to people in the world, when we're sharing the good news with people and they're wondering, well, maybe I was baptized and, you know, I don't know. And, and so 
a lot of people have a sort of a baptism story and, well, I was five and I was at this church camp or whatever it was, and they're just really unsure. One of the reasons I think that we need to emphasize it besides our vertical relationship is also our relationship with ourself, is every one of us need to be able to look back and say, I remember where I was. I remember why I was doing what I did. I knew that I wanted to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean we have to know everything. Again, as you said, it's the beginning, not the end, but we all need that again, pardon the pun, watershed moment that we can look back and say, this was the moment that everything changed. This is the moment that I went from death to life. This is the moment I went from slavery to freedom. This is the moment I went from being a Gentile to being one of the descendants of Abraham. This is the moment I went from being outside the story to being inside the story. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Um, So let's get specific. Let's talk a little bit more particulars about baptism. Like why water? You know, you look through the, through the scriptures, especially from Old Testament to New, you see water have a very, um, very distinct uh, place in salvation. Talk a little bit about that, because I know you and Travis did a, a podcast, I don't know, it's been probably a year ago, on uh, baptism now saving you, and you talked about uh, water, and you talked about, you know, in Second Peter 3, when he talks about Noah and all that, and you made some really good connections there spiritually for me that I had not thought about. So talk a little bit about you remember, water. You remember some of the things I've said more than I do, so okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to look, think back. Um, no, but I, I, that's great, because I, I think there, there are so many connections, and we could talk about all different kinds of symbolism that water has from the cleansing, because obviously you look through the book of Leviticus and the law and how water is tied to cleansing. And Mm -hmm. then I think the Hebrew writer, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, talks about how our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood and how our bodies have been cleansed with the pure water. And so there's a, there's a, a, symbolism to the cleansing that takes place in the water, but there's also this water element in moments of transition and moments of salvation. Like you pointed out with the flood, we could think about the flood as the act of, in fact, the way Peter talks about it, he doesn't talk about the ark saving them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how you might think of it. How were they saved? They were saved by the ark, but actually they were saved by the water. The water of the flood saved Noah and his family from that generation. And Peter ties that to how the people of their current generation, who were also being persecuted by the people around them, were being saved by their baptism because it was setting them apart. You could talk about how the the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and how you have this moment of transition, again, from slavery to freedom and how water sort of stands in between and is this transition moment when you go from one side to the other, one side of the Red Sea to the other, one side of the Jordan to the other, one side being... uh, unclean, the other side being clean, the one side being slaves, the other side being freedom, and how baptism is that for us. Even the flood, Peter talks about the flood as standing between the old world, the, the, the pre-diluvian world, and the post-diluvian world, the, the pre-flood world, and the post-flood world, and how it's sort of 
Noah and his family stepped into a brand new world on the other side of the floodwaters. And that's what we are doing. When we're in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are new creation. And so when we come through the waters of baptism, we step into sort of a new world. It's a new world for us within the old world, and it's sort of an overlapping age. And so here we are, new creation, walking about in the old creation. Yeah, the transition part of it is what I've never really thought about till I heard you talk about it. I, th- I really like that. I think that's a, a key aspect that we don't really focus on, we don't really think about. Um, last, last thing I want to talk about is the significance of Jesus's baptism. Mm-hmm. We talked about that here and how you know, Jews didn't baptize people. Why would they? You know, I mean, they're, they're the chosen. They don't have to baptize anybody. So for Jesus to go get baptized was an unusual thing anyway. And then we talked about how Israel was meant to be a light to the other nations and they failed miserably. And Jesus comes out of the water of baptism, waters of baptism. What's the, what's the first thing he does? He, go, he goes in the wilderness to be tempted, just like the Israelites. Yes. Yet the difference is he passes the test. Yes. Of course, 40 days instead of 40 years, but he passes the test. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about why did Jesus have to get baptized, you know, sinless Savior. But, uh, you know, G, uh, God says something there that's really significant in that, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and that this is to fulfill all righteousness. Talk a little bit about that, about Jesus's baptism and what that means for us. Yeah, well, I think you did, just did a great job right there. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just be done. No, I think that's exactly right. And you, you look at Matthew's account and Matthew, I think, really is saying that, that Jesus isn't just an Israelite, And I think that that's part of it, that as a part of Israel, Jesus is responding to John's call that all Israel come and be renewed in preparation for the the Messianic age. And so I think that's part of it, that Jesus is part of collective Israel. But actually, Jesus is more than that. Jesus is the personification of Israel. Jesus is Israel embodied. In fact, even before his baptism, when he's in Egypt, and, and his, his family escapes to Egypt, and then they leave Egypt. In Matthew chapter 2, it says that, he, that Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Herod, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, the prophet was originally talking about all of Israel leaving Egypt and all of Israel being God's son. And so Jesus is... Israel. He's this new Israel, this single embodiment of Israel. And then he goes from there out of Egypt, eventually, to the water, just like Israel passed through the water. And then he goes into the wilderness. And again, as you said, he is faithful to the test. He passes the test. And so he becomes the perfect embodiment of Israel and God's way of blessing all nations of mankind, which is why Paul could say that Jesus is the single seed of Abraham. He is the seed of Abraham through whom all the blessings will come to the nation. So I think that his baptism, again, is that transition point, and he is leading, as this new Moses is leading us through the waters of baptism from the old life into the new life. That's, that's great. And th- this is what we were trying to focus on. I told our folks here when I started this series, I I really struggled to what to title it, and I'm still not really happy with the title because rethinking baptism, I don't want us to, you know, 
I don't want to send the impression that we're rethinking whether you have to be baptized. And, you know, I think we rethink baptism a lot. I know I have rethought my baptism many, many times. And I think, you know, a lot of people in, in counseling, I've talked to people, well, I just don't know if I should be baptized again. I don't know if I, I did it correctly. And so, you know, I didn't want to send the impression that we all just need to rethink our baptism. But the rethinking the baptism was about rethinking its place in our story, you know, what it means for us, thinking deeper than just fire insurance. And so hopefully we have done that with the series. And thank you all so much for for being here for that and thank you for coming tonight and I appreciate you and Holly and Malachi and Noah being with us tonight making the trip from Plano and uh, thank you guys for being here if we can help you in any way if you'd like to to talk more about baptism you know with me or one of the shepherds or one of the staff members certainly do that uh, if you have further questions let us know also if we can pray with you tonight or if you'd like to be baptized maybe you've thought about this and you're ready to take that step we'd love to do that as well jim's going to lead us in a song and we invite you to to stand and come if you need to as we sing